If you had Luke chapter 7 open before you, um, I want to begin. Uh, this is where my killer, the lack of my killer PowerPoint's already starting to bite. I wanted to start with a question for you, a question of only four words. And I wanted it up there on the screen, and I wanted it to stay there on the screen for a while so that it would, so that it would sit with you and bury its way into your heart. Because the question's this. Do you love Jesus? I should apologize for a question like that because this is a Presbyterian church and you should be safe in a place like this from being asked questions like that, shouldn't you? That's for other churches, for the happy clappies, uh, the places where emotions are allowed a place in the agenda. I should apologize, but I don't think I can in the end and I'm going to stick with it. And the reason uh, I'm going to stick with it is because It's a question that Jesus asks or at least invites us to consider in the last part of Luke chapter 7, not the part that we've read. So let let your eye go down to Luke 7 in the NIV split into four chunks. We've read the first two, uh, but it's the fourth one that I'm going to focus on with you this morning. Jesus talks to a couple of people and in the end where he takes the conversation is to this question of whether they love him or not. And he, he then goes on to explain the reason why some people might love Jesus and others might not. It's powerful and it's important stuff. So all of that's in the final quarter of the chapter in verses 36 to 50. We're not going to be able to give any time this morning to the rest of the chapter. As I started to get into this last quarter, I just felt like, okay, this is going to take all my time to try and look at Anybody who's in a discipleship group will get a chance to think about some of the stuff earlier in the chapter as they meet next week. All I can tell you in in two minutes about the, the other 35 verses is to say that Luke is continuing to show us what we said at the start of this series, and that is that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all the world. He's for the outsider. That's something I said in an introductory sermon Um, And we're told in this chapter that he heals a foreigner. First time that we're told about him healing a foreigner. So it's a centurion's servant. And then we're told that he lifts a small family out of poverty. You mightn't have got that, but but that's actually what's happening. If you're a widow in that culture, um, your husband who is the, the provider is gone. So you're immediately relying on your son. And if you only have one son, and that son dies, then you are plunged into poverty. Verses 11 to 17, we're told that Jesus Christ raises that widow's son uh, in the village of Nain. So he's for the, the foreigners. He's for those who are poor. It's like we said at the start of our series, he is the savior of the world. He saves all the people in all the ways that they need to be saved. In these closing verses of our chapter, and that's where I want us to focus, you'll you'll have to pay a bit of attention to them because we haven't even read them yet. So have them open there before you. 
Luke tells us about an occasion where Jesus receives and accepts an invitation to dinner. Now, it seems right at the outset, in ways that we might not um, immediately notice, that there's something not quite right with this invitation to this party. It seems that the Pharisee, the guy who's invited uh, Jesus, has some sort of agenda other than, than kindness and hospitality. Uh, We can guess that from the way that Simon, that's the Pharisee's name, he treats his guest. You see, he doesn't bother with any of the normal etiquette of his culture around receiving a guest. Every culture has etiquette around hospitality. If I invited you to our house for tea on Friday night, the kind of things that I'm expecting uh, I might do, the, the welcome you'd receive, you'd ring the doorbell, I'd open the door and I'd say, hi, great to see you. Can I take your coat? I'd show you into our living room. Uh, hopefully the fire would be lit and I'd say, here, take a seat by the fire. Can I get you a drink while we wait for dinner? Uh, then I or Claire, mostly me because I'm no use in the kitchen, would sit and chat while dinner, the final preparations are made. You recognize what I'm talking about. That's the etiquette in our culture uh, for hospitality, that kind of a thing. Well, there are things that Simon could have and should have done to welcome Jesus. The culture of his day dictated that you greeted a person with a kiss. So that's still, that's still a thing in a lot of European countries, you know, a kiss on each cheek. Um, that would have been the culture uh, in Jesus' day. He should have had, Simon should have had his servants wash Jesus' feet. That's part of the culture. And he should have anointed him with olive oil or given him the chance to do that. If you're in a culture where there's a a surplus of heat and a shortage of deodorant, you need some way just to sort yourselves out before you come to have a meal together. Simon should have done all of these things And as far as we can tell, he did none of them. If he had wanted to offend Jesus, then he's going the right way about it. It's like like inviting someone to your house, and when they arrive, just letting them find their own way in. You and the family keep your eyes just fixed on the Netflix. You lie back there on the sofa, and you don't even make eye contact or say hi. If... If somebody did that to you, if you were a guest coming to their home, you'd feel snubbed before you even arrive. Well, that's, that's what's going on here. It, it looks like Simon is deliberately trying to offend Jesus. This rabbi, with his, with his powerful teaching, his reputation for miracles, you almost imagine him, I'll invite him to a dinner party with some of my friends, and then we'll put him firmly back in his place. We'll show him who's boss. Banquets like this are a public affair in the culture. The people who are wealthy enough to host banquets do them in courtyards of their houses. And it's the sort of place that anybody can dander into. And that's what happens. A woman walks in. She watches and she listens. Luke tells us that she'd lived a sinful life in that town the natural and almost universal assumption is that she's a prostitute. Now this woman's already heard of Jesus. Luke tells us that. Maybe, maybe she heard him preach earlier that day. So she sought him out. Now think about that for a second. 
this woman is not like the majority of people who come to look for Jesus. They come to look for him because they've got a physical illness for which they want healing. That's what we know from our studies in Luke's gospel so far. But she's not sick. We're not told that she's sick. She's coming for something else. She's heard that Jesus Christ forgives sins. That he accepts sinful people. In a culture where everybody else, without exception, is writing this woman off, she's heard about Jesus and she's come to believe that he will accept her. She wasn't coming just to pique her curiosity. She's coming to experience what she's already heard in his teaching, and that is she wants to experience his forgiveness up close and personal. She wants to confirm what she's already sensed from Jesus. This story doesn't make sense otherwise. Why else would this woman come? The woman's actions here, I hope you're uh, reading with me, sort of just keeping an eye on the passage as we go. Her actions are, are intentional, but I don't think they're what she had planned. Again, think about it. She's come to visit Jesus when he's at somebody else's house receiving hospitality. So she expects that he's already had that kiss. He's had his feet washed. That he's been given olive oil to clean himself up with. She's just brought some perfume because she wants to, to demonstrate her, her love and her gratitude to him. But whenever she sees Jesus, we see it in the text here, she's moved with tears. Tears of sadness for what she's done. Tears of gratitude because of what Jesus is doing for her. And tears of joy when she contemplates the the new kind of life that she could soon be living. But I think her tears are tears of frustration too. She's She's frustrated with the way in which she sees Jesus treated. And she won't have it. She won't settle for it. So she starts with his feet. Why his feet? Well, it's to do with the way they ate meals at these banquets. They, they would have had a table in the center with all the food on it. And they would have had each guest lying on a couch Um, Their head would be towards the end of the table where the food is and their feet would be away from it. So their bodies are like spokes on a wheel. So if you approach the dinner table, the first thing that you meet is a person's feet. This woman isn't prepared to wash Jesus' feet. That's not what she was planning to do. She has no basin. She has no water. So she improvises and what uses what she has. It's her, her tears that she uses to wash Jesus' dusty, smelly feet. The details in Luke's account here all matter. Uh, he tells us that the woman, presumably because she has no towel, uses her hair to dry his feet. It's an absolute outrage. In traditional Eastern society, from Jesus' day right up until now, a woman covers her hair in public. If a married woman let down her hair in public, that was grounds for divorce 
without a financial settlement. For the Jewish rabbis, when a woman uncovers her hair in public, she is offending God. It's considered as sexually provocative. And this woman, think about it, better than anyone else, she knows this. She's let her hair down in lots of wrong places with lots of wrong men. Why didn't she use the corner of her skirt to dry Jesus' feet as she knelt there having washed them? Well, again, in traditional Middle Eastern culture, it's on her wedding night that a bride lets down her hair for her husband. It's the first time that the husband sees the bride's hair. No one in Simon's dining room that day will have missed what's going on here. By unloosing her hair, by using it to dry Jesus' feet, she is making the ultimate pledge of loyalty to Jesus Christ. She's saying, I love you. And I give myself entirely to you. Simon didn't wash Jesus' feet. Now she washed them with her tears. Simon didn't greet Jesus with a kiss as he arrived at his home. Now she's kissing his feet. Simon didn't even bother giving Jesus the olive oil, the the simplest, cheapest form of cleansing uh, available. She pours an expensive perfume on his feet. It seems that for every way that Simon went to humiliate Jesus, this woman says, no, I'm not having it. I'll see him honored. I love him. As you read the story, you can't help but wonder, Flip, I wonder, how did Jesus feel about all of this? How's he going to react? What's he going to do? And Simon This guest, or this host, I should say, this Pharisee, he has his own ideas. And Luke tells us in verse 39 what Simon's ideas are. Gives us a window into Simon's soul. Simon's saying to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. It's quite often the case, I think I've said this before and quite recently, people can get it partly right about Jesus. And this is one of those thoughts where Simon's got it partly right. His basic premise is right. If Jesus was the great man of God that people say he is, then he'll know what kind of a woman it is that's touching him. And of course he did. Jesus knew. He knew who this woman was. He knew what her profession was. He knew all about this woman. But it's the next assumption where Simon goes wrong. He imagines that Jesus, just like all the other uh, religious leaders, all the Pharisees, whenever they discover a sinner anywhere near them, send them packing immediately. But that's not Jesus, is it? That's not the Jesus we've been learning about in Luke's Gospel. Do you remember Simon Peter? says to Jesus, as soon as he begins to see who he is, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you into something new. 
When the religious leaders slag him off for going to Levi's party, Jesus tells them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus Christ doesn't send sinners packing. He welcomes them with open arms. I think uh, Luke's insight into Simon's heart here gives us an idea of what Jesus was expected to do. In the culture of his day, if he really is a godly man, if he really is a spiritual leader of God's people, he should have been embarrassed by this woman's presence. He should have been shocked that she had dared to touch him. He should have been outraged when she let down her hair in his presence and used it to dry her feet, his feet. Everyone in that room would have expected Jesus to be uncomfortable with this woman and to send her away. But that's not what Jesus does. He allows her to do it all. He seems to accept all of her gestures and all of her love. Does this guy have no sense of decency? Why did Jesus allow this behavior? It's because he knew what was going on in this woman's heart. It's because he knew that she'd heard from him about the forgiveness that he offered. And he understood that she wanted that forgiveness. That she felt she was already receiving it. And she was coming to express her gratitude to him. That's what's going on with this woman. You see, Jesus sees things here very, very differently than Simon. And the rest of her passage talks about how he tries to re-educate Simon, this Pharisee, to see things a little more clearly. Simon, I have something to tell you. It's a very blunt way to introduce a conversation. I don't know, well, I'm sure you have. Somebody's maybe said to you or you've said to somebody else, Simon, I'm going to say some stuff to you and you might not want to hear it, but here goes. And not for the first time Jesus chooses to tell a story. It could hardly be simpler. This is one of the easy uh, parables or stories Jesus told. Two men owe money to a certain money lender. One of them owes 500 quid, the other owes 50, and neither of them are able to pay their debt. But the money lender cancels both debts. Pretty simple story. And then Jesus asks the question, the, the million dollar question, Simon, which of these two men will love the money lender more. Simon takes a moment and he says, well, uh, I suppose it's the one who's had the bigger debt cancelled. And Jesus affirms him. He says, well done. You've judged correctly. It's nice for Simon that he got the answer right, but it's going to get a, a bit less comfortable when he begins to see the implications of Jesus' story and where it's going. You see, the way Jesus chooses to finish his story, he shifts the focus. He takes Simon for where, he, where the headspace he's been in, in a totally different direction. Simon wants to focus on the woman, and he wants to say to himself and to the crowd gathered today, look at that woman. 
Look at her great sins. She is a sinner. But Jesus changes the focus. And he says, look at this woman's beautiful, beautiful response to me. She's accepted my forgiveness and she's overflowing with gratitude. You see, in Simon's world, there are two types of people. The PowerPoint would have been good at this stage. Do you know a Venn diagram? Everybody loved that. Was that like third form maths? Never knew what the point was, did we? No, still don't. In Simon's world, there are two circles that don't overlap. There are only two types of people in the world. There are sinners, like the woman, and nice people, like him and his mates. Sinners and nice people. Two circles. Jesus comes along and he agrees. I think in his story he's saying, yeah, I think there are two types of people. But it's not those two categories. In Jesus' mind, it's not sinners and people who aren't sinners because both of the people in his story have a debt. They both have a problem. As far as Jesus is concerned, we're all sinners. We all have debts that we can't pay, but the difference is how we understand ourselves. Some of us, like Simon, think that we're not sinners or hardly sinners at all. We believe that our debt to God is small. Others, like the woman, realize that we've failed God and we've failed other people in a million different ways and that our debt to God and to everyone around us is monumental. In Jesus' story, the dividing line isn't between sinners and perfect people. It's between those who think they're perfect and those who know they're not. Think they're perfect, know they're not. And it's at this point, once we've seen these realities, begun to map them out in our minds, that we're ready to return to this question, this love question. As I said at the start, it's Jesus who's chosen to talk in these terms. Whenever he's told Simon the story about the two two people in their debt and the, the money lender who cancels the debt. Look at verse 42. He asks the question, which of them will love him more? Now, that's not the kind of language I normally think of when I think of a banker or my mortgage lender. I don't love or not love these guys. They're, they're just guys I owe money to. But Jesus is going after this. He's going after this. He, he wants to talk about love. He's asking the love question, Simon, if I've come to forgive people their sins, then what kind of a person is going to love me? He turns to the woman, and he reminds Simon of everything that's gone before, of, of her heartache at Jesus' humiliation, her humble service, her lavish actions, and he confirms Simon's own impression. Simon, you're right. It's the person who's had the biggest debt forgiven who loves most. In verse 47, Jesus turns to the woman and he says, Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. It's actually slightly confusing. I didn't 
understand this as I read the story. It didn't sit right with me. And I had to go and check it out. And when I did, I discovered that the NIV version that we're using there, the translation isn't great. And it's been strengthened since. So if we were using an up-to-date NIV, here's how it would read. Therefore, I tell you, sorry, verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. This woman isn't forgiven her sins because she's poured perfume in Jesus' feet. She pours perfume on his feet, she weeps, and she loves him because he's forgiven her sin. They're a demonstration of the heart in her, her love and her gratitude. Jesus does an interesting thing. He doesn't presume to judge Simon. He doesn't say, he's already said this woman loves much. He's made that connection pretty clearly. But he doesn't say, Simon, you love little. He, He moves back a step And just makes an observation. He who has been forgiven little loves little. We don't know how this will end for Simon. My sense actually reading the story is that he is the guy with the big debt in this story. It's it's written to make him feel like he's the guy with the small debt, but goodness, who do you find your heart open to and responding to? The woman we we we're grown we're drawn to and Simon repulses us. He's got a huge debt. I've no doubt that Jesus Christ wants to forgive him, but we don't know. We don't know where this will go for Simon. You see, Simon at this moment anyway sees himself as a person with little sin. He's a small debt person. He looks at large debt people and he wonders why they couldn't be a bit more like him. He thinks that God's getting a pretty good deal with him, with all of his respectability. And it leaves him wondering, well, what is so amazing about grace? This is why he's been dismissive of Jesus. Who needs a savior after all if you've no sense that you sin? This is why he loves little. I'm finished. My PowerPoint was just going to throw that verse up on the screen. Because as soon as I read it this week and started to think about it, it it tilted me, it unnerved me. He who has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus is right, you know. I know this from my own heart. It's when I grow sure of myself, when I grow confidence in my own self-righteousness, that I grow judgmental of others and I feel far from God. Why wouldn't it be? Sure, I don't need anything from God. I don't need any grace or forgiveness when I have such a high view of myself. That's when I love little.
And folks, I have to say this, I get to see it as I lead a community too. You can see it quite clearly from the front. I wasn't planning to say this from a pulpit, it looks awful. Those who come along to church, who are invited to to worship the living God, to raise their voice to him in song and in prayer, who are invited to hear his voice as his words read and somebody teaches it, and it doesn't move them ever. They're bored. There's no love. Jesus' saving work and forgiveness means nothing. There's nothing to celebrate in God's amazing grace. And so I'm asking myself, and I'll invite you to think with me. Do I love Jesus? If I don't, this is probably getting to the heart of it. Why I don't. Jesus has brought us to this place today. He's shown us why we don't love. It's because we have no sense of his forgiveness and his grace in our lives. If I've been forgiven little, I will love little. But it's when I recognize that I'm a big debt person that I'm the woman. That's when I'll love much. Other people will look at me and they'll think I'm, I'm reckless, that I'm out of line, that my love is lavish and scandalous. And frankly, I won't give a stuff. Because I love much. That's when I'll love much. When I'm forgiven much. Let me try and pray. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so incisive with your your vision and your words, you look right into the heart of us and you tell us what you see. And Lord, you've done that today. Lord, we hardly know what to do with this. What do we do if our hearts are hard and we don't discern any love for you in them today? Lord, my prayer is that you'll break our hearts. You'll open our eyes. That you'll let us see that we're big debt people. And the only thing bigger is your love.
and your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that because we've been with you and in your word today, our hearts will be warmed and will be drawn into a deeper love for you. Amen.